everybody. Welcome to episode 144 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I am one of your hosts, Sashir Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robinson. And today we have a guest, which I'm very excited about. Yes. Very excited. Who might you be, sir? Uh, my name is Joe Marcantonio, and I am the co-writer and director of a film called Kindred, uh, which was out in the States uh, last year, end of last year, theatrically, in what little theatrical there is in the pandemic. And then there's, I think it's on Hulu. I'm, I'm a bit naive because I'm over in yes, the UK. It's on, I think it's, it's on, on Hulu, Hulu at the moment. Yes. And um, I've just done the director's commentary, which means there is a Blu-ray and a DVD coming out at some point. Nice. What's a Blu-ray? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You remember physical media? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That coaster you used yeah. to put in a machine that played, yeah, yeah. That played an image. Very vintage. Um, I love me a so, good uh, director's commentary. Yeah, they. I do like yeah, those, actually. We'll I, I would it's like to see that. just a chance to... Just to settle those scores with like people I've got like grudges against. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell people the way it really was. Mm -hmm. no, I'm kidding. That was very polite. So <laughs> I, I mean, I, I definitely want to get into Kindred because that's that's how we discovered you. Um, mm -hmm. But we got to see Red Light, mm -hmm. which was a short that you had done. And uh, we do nothing but shorts. <laughs> so uh -huh. we we enjoy watching them. And um, we're fans of Jesse Buckley, so that was really cool mm -hmm. that we saw her in there. And <clears throat> so I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience making that because, um, you know, and anybody who's who's made a short film and who's who's in this business knows that there's such a there's such a, a right and wrong way to do that. And uh, aside from runtime, you have a perfect runtime. Congrats. <laughs> mm -hmm. We fail at that epically every time. We always run over and then we're terrible for fitting into time slots that's for not, film that's fest. That's just with our last film. It's not true always. Well, with everything I write. I have to cut everything timing. I write down because, well, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> because I always run over too long. But um, it was this, this perfect combination of um, being able to jump right into a story. Because ultimately, that's your only option, really, with a short. You really, there's no time for a sec first, second, and third act, right? You kind of just have to jump mm -hmm. into it, tell your story in a short amount of time, and then wrap everything up in a way yeah. that satisfies the audience. And I've watched so many shorts that I've loved and thought I would, I, I feel like maybe uh, there's so much of the story that I didn't get, but. That wasn't the case with Red Light. It's like you get everything that's going on. You, you didn't have to get the backstory of how she got into this situation. It, mm -hmm. She kind of touches on it a little bit, I guess, with her home life. and But it's just like established. This is where she is. This is her life. Uh, and then uh, this, this massive... I like to nitpick everything that I watch just as a writer. I'm always like, where's the twist? And then I ruin everything for myself mm -hmm. like an idiot. And I didn't do that this time or just didn't see that coming and then the end came and i was like oh, oh no, <laughs> no. <laughs> well i had a i had a twofer at the ending because the first portion i was like oh this guy is like friends with him but he's not telling him how he really feels about this woman right right and then i was like oh wait he oh okay <laughs> so it was like yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just naive that I thought like he was still genuine even after that first reveal. <laughs> Fool. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife always complains that my all the scripts I write and stuff are all like have uber pessimistic endings. You yeah. know, and I'm really Love negative that. about stuff. Because I think I'm a little bit happy go lucky as far as life goes. But for some yeah, reason, yeah, that's think, it's um, funny because we're the same way. We we're drawn to very dark material, and mm. in our daily lives, we're just dumbasses. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, making yeah, fart jokes and stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's quite a lot to un, un, unpick in all this. So, um, uh, where to begin? I mean, I might give you a very brief, um, it's quite a long story. I'll give you the short version of kind of how the film came about, which mm -hmm. I think might be vaguely interesting in that basically, um, I went to like a film school in the UK, not a very prestigious one. Um, and then it was like a runner, uh, which is like a kind of, a, I don't know if you call them runners in the States, like a kind of, you know, onset assistant. Oh, like a PA, yeah. Yeah. PA, you know, getting people coffees and whatnot yeah. for a couple of years at like a commercials production company that was Ridley Scott's commercials company. Okay. But he spends all his time in LA and, and south of France. So like I only met him like twice in two and a half years or something. And then I had like a really uh, slightly traumatic and unpleasant like uh, firing <laughs> <laughs> from the job. I had a big kind of, uh, I kind of had a bit of a falling out with one of the people, one of the bosses, kind of like one of the directors, um, uh, commercials directors that work there. 
who was a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I shouldn't really tell anyone what his name is. So, um, but rest assured, he's a real prick. Um, so after that, I started doing like low budget music videos and got stuck in this world of doing kind of corporate online videos. It was like the early 2000s, mm. mid 2000s, probably 2005, 2006. And this world had opened up about doing like corporate kind of like commercially films for the internet or whatever. And I got stuck in that world for a long time. And then I always wanted to do film and I'd been writing and trying to find a way, but I didn't have any connections in the industry and I was finding it very difficult. And so I kind of made the decision that like, right, okay, I'm going to self-fund some shorts. You know, I've applied for like what little public money there is over here, but I'm a man, I'm a middle-class white dude in London, from London, and we are not the top of the agenda as far as like people who get financing from mm-hmm. like kind of public film bodies, you know? So I was like, right, okay, I'll do cheap. So I did a couple of like fiction shorts quite cheap. And then I really ran into problems with like production value because... You know, if you're self-funding shorts and you are trying to build a world, you tend to, if you're a bit overly ambitious, as I think I was at the time, like, I don't know any actors, really. So I've got people I know in it who are all a bit shit. And I can't <laughs> afford proper costumes. And I can't afford any locations. So I'm shooting it in, like, in my house or my friend's flat. And, like, they work conceptually to, to a point, those films. But they, mm-hmm. they kind of, they fail to do the job I needed them to do, which was convince someone that I have enough ability that they would give me money to make a feature film. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that was what it was all about for me. So then I kind of changed tack a little bit and then I went and started doing short documentaries. Because the thing about documentaries is they are cheap. Mm-hmm. Because if you own a camera, as I did, and you have an idea or someone you know has a, a, a project or whatever that you can get involved in, then it, all it costs you is time, really. Right. So I did a bunch of documentaries. First one was one called Flat Track about well actually the first one was i was doing some epks on a friend of mine's feature film he was making mm-hmm. um called comes a bright day it was director simon abood who's like as close to a mentor as i've ever had really he's like a kind of 10 years older than me and kind of he somewhat took me under his wing when after i met him and kind of like even now i spoke to him the other day like he gives me bits of advice and stuff he's made a couple of films mm-hmm. um so um through him i met this artist guy called death spray custom who's like a spray painter Mm -hmm. and um we did like a kind of art project together and we became friends and um uh off the back of that he's like a motorcycle enthusiast he does a thing called flat track racing where they basically ride motorcycles in circles okay Mm -hmm. kind of race in circles and i did a little kind of like slightly artsy fartsy kind of documentary thing about that and i got a vimeo staff pick you know when it came out i was like okay cool i'll do another one like that so then i did like a a profile film on him as as a painter and that's called um, Things That Can Kill You because he does a lot of crash helmets. He's okay. obsessed with things that can kill you. And, like, <laughs> he'll, like, he'll like spray paint like uh, chainsaws and like axes and stuff. He's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Death Spray Custom, you should check him out. Um, he painted, there's a guy who's quite famous in the States um, who used to own DC Shoes, whose name is Ken Block. I don't know if you know him. He's like a, mo- he's like a kind of motorhead, like kind of petrolhead dude who does like crazy car stunts. And Desperate like painted all his cars for a couple of years. Like mm-hmm. anyway, um, after that, I did another one about advertising because my dad had written a book years ago about um, Volkswagen advertising in the seventies. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I promise it will make sense. To you. <laughs> uh, and then after that, I got these three three Vimeo staff picks under my belt, and I was like, right, okay, I th- it's time to kind of like make a proper short now. I feel like I've got the experience. I know how I want to approach it. I know what I need to do. So I was on the lookout for ideas and there was in Berwick Street in London, in, the, in Soho, like central London, there's a little comic shop. And I was in there one day and I found like this kind of self-published collection of 80s comic strips. And I just picked it up on a whim and bought it because I don't know, it just looked vaguely interesting. And most of them weren't great. They were fine. But this one story about this kind of young prostitute was was in it. I was like, man, that's like... That's gold. You know, I'll email that guy and um, and see what he's saying. So I tracked the writer down, and he was an older guy at that point. He, re- I think he was a teacher, or he just retired from teaching. And like, you know, and I said, look, it's totally random. I've just got this thing. Like, would you mind if I like adapted it into a script? And he was like, yeah, fine, man. Just like send me an agreement, I'll do it. And I sent this kind of agreement, and um, 
um and that was it and then it sat with me for about three years because like uh-huh. i didn't have any money still i didn't know any actors still i didn't have any kind of contacts but um this is what hopefully the story gets more interesting is i um i was having my first kid well my wife and i were having our first kid and we went to a prenatal baby class you know when you're having a kid you go to these like classes um to teach you how to be a parent and i happened to sit next to this guy who in a room full of quite odd people with like you know underage parents smoking cigarettes outside and you know <laughs> quite a weird scenario um the most normal person in there i sat next to him i was like oh, hi and, and well, what do you do and he's like i'm a film producer and i'm like mm. oh okay that's fucking weird I'm, I'm like a i'm a director you know um so we hit it off and became good friends and he was working this his name's dominic norris and he was working on a film called um, Modern Life is Rubbish. They were just about to shoot at the time. It's like a kind of rom-com thing, British thing. But um, we decided to do the short film together, you know. And through him, I, I paid for it myself. But, um, but through him, I had suddenly had connections to, like, agents and actors and kind of, like, better crew. Yeah, the crew mm-hmm. who'd worked on his feature were up for coming and doing a couple of days' work for free because they knew him and, and stuff. So suddenly that kind of opened up a big... And also, I knew crew from commercials and stuff, but um, between the two of us, we managed to kind of um, beg, borrow, and steal. And it cost me, I mean, quite a lot of money still for me. You know, it was like £6,000. So, what's that? About eight, 9000 bucks or something okay. over there? Um, but off the back of that, I end up with a short film that's good enough for me to um, get a feature film off the ground, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Red Light, I mean, specifically, as far as when I was writing that script and, and somewhat adapting it, I changed a lot of it. So it's probably like 70% mine or something-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that I needed a, a, a short film that was going to be A, short, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. B, limited locations and limited cast. You know, mm-hmm. because the thing that costs money when you're shooting anything is moving people. Yes. Because mm-hmm. time is money and moving people takes ages. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in one room, you can shoot... 30 setups in a day and if you're in 30 rooms you can probably shoot three of those rooms in a day do you know what i mean like it's just um i tend to approach anything that i'm working on with the kind of logistics in my head about like right okay how am i going to make this achievable and how is this how am i going to get the most out of this situation Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um so with that we got super lucky because like we tried to we cast we had a casting agent and we spoke to a couple of people. I didn't really have much money and it was quite tricky. And then, um, funny enough, um, Dominic knew Jack Loudon, who ended up being in Kindred. Um, and he read the script and liked it. And he recommended Jesse, who at that point hadn't done an awful lot. It was before the film Beast had come out, which yeah. was her kind of big breakthrough. Um, and she had been in um, a BBC adaptation of War and Peace with him. Mm-hmm. And he knew her from that and was like, oh man, she's like amazing. So... Um, I looked into it and I was like, Jesus, do you reckon she'd do it? Like, maybe she, I'll be lucky if she does. And then we met for a coffee and she was really into it, you know? So, um, there's a lot of luck comes into play, mm-hmm. you know? But, um, I think short films in that way are so challenging to get right. You know, it's a really difficult mm-hmm. art because there is a formula that works, which is the whole kind of create a world very quickly create believable characters very quickly and yet there's an expectation that at the end there's a twist or something happens right. that is mm-hmm. somewhat unexpected that brings new meaning to everything else that you've seen right and it, that is such a challenging thing to do you know because most of the time it's the whole what's in the suitcase twist do you know what i mean yes. right. and, yeah. um, and it just becomes too um it's so cliched at this point that kind of like you know the obvious reveal. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, right. You need it to be something subtle that shines. You like them, like Jason, who I co-wrote Kindred with, did a a short film. Uh, I think it's called The Gift. I could be completely wrong though. Maybe <laughs> I should do my due diligence and look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Mook Colgan. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, sorry. Apologies to uh, podcast listeners. I am just... That's okay. We're just getting the, the facts weight. here. It's called The Weight. The Weight. Okay. okay. And that is about a lady and a guy sat at a bus stop and they're literally just waiting for a bus to come, you know, and they're chatting. And then there, it's just dialogue and two people talking. And then by the time the bus arrives and they stand up, you basically want to burst into tears because the reveal works so well. 
crazy. I have to watch this now. I don't want to ruin it for you, but 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 check it out. That's um, he did that super well. He won a bunch of awards for that actually. Whereas Red Light, we didn't really get much joy festival wise. Really, much joy kind of um in that way. I think because it was around the time of Trump getting in and the whole North Korea thing, uh. and I think it was a bit dark. <laughs> A bit dark side for a lot of people, you know. I don't. I think it, there was a lot of um, um, worried about kind of the neg. I don't know. Who knows? You know, you send things off and they don't necessarily do as well as you hope they will. That's yeah. a, it's always um, so weird. It's always so weird yeah. what what I watch certain things and then I I read and you know there's commentary or you read something that says you know it didn't get a good festival run or it got rejected mm-hmm. by X Y and Z festival and I'm like how? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, just how you know, it's a it's- A friend of mine won the Oscar. Um, what was their one called? Like the phone call or something it was called. It was about like a um um a like Samaritans. Do you have, that, you have mm-hmm. the Samaritans over there? Like a kind of um like a helpline for yeah. people that are like suicidal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like a lady on the phone and there's a guy talking to her and um and she's trying to work out where he is so she can send the emergency services because I think he's overdosed on pills or something. And uh, yeah, they a guy called Matt Kirk, Kirkby directed it, and and James Lucas wrote it, and I, and I knew them from my commercials days a bit. Um, uh, yeah, they won the Oscar, but they got turned down by like all these like slightly second-rate rural film festivals. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's no second guessing why something or it does or doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Prove it's just an, it's 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 just like art itself. It's very arbitrary. It seems you know we mm. had films that you know would win one film festival and then not get into another. So it's like, yeah. all right, so you're telling me this film is so good, you had to give it an mm. award, and then you're telling me that it's so bad, you don't even want people to watch it. <laughs> but I think you know? the thing that I thing that I realized during the process is that it, it isn't actually a reflection on how good it is if you no. bring it in. It's a reflection on, on what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if these days, you know, we've just had like the BAFTA announcements um, come out this week for like... Um, uh, the awards and fair enough you know quite rightly there's a it, there is a um concentration on diversity to the to uh, uh rather like hardcore extreme where like every category is just like mostly ethnic minority or mostly female or mostly you know it's other mm-hmm. people getting the chance you know and yeah. a lot of film festivals have also for many years had that kind of agenda when it comes to things being sent in and, you know, they're like, when you send your entry and they're like, okay, well, who are you? Are you middle-class white male, you know, doing this thing? What's the subject matter? Is it female empowerment? Or if it's not, then maybe that doesn't necessarily fit into the kind of thing mm-hmm. we're trying to tell. You know, like, a lot of festivals do have a little bit of an agenda as to what kind of thing they want to accept and what their audience want to watch. Mm-hmm. The Cambridge Film Festival probably wants to film the kind of films that 65-year-old couples are going to want to watch because they're the kind of people that live in Cambridge do you yeah. know what I mean yeah um, so yeah it's a strange one whereas yeah, I know South to... Southwest want stuff that's a bit more hipster and a bit more kind of edgy you know yeah you have to really you can't just kind of blast your film out every I mean if, I guess if you have the money you can do whatever you want but you know it's, oh, it's so expensive uh, yeah it's that's like, the thing it's, it's so yeah. expensive so you have to be really careful about who you're submitting to and, and, and exactly what their what their agenda is because like every film festival even if they don't have a straight up agenda, they have something that they're trying to do. They have some. They're themed sometimes. Yeah, they'll change it from year or to year. They're, they're just trying to tell, you know, they're trying to get. Everybody has these uh, subtle biases, and, you know, mm-hmm. these directors and, and film selectors um, may be drawn to one thing or another. And, and so mm-hmm. it's good to know more yeah. about the film festivals, especially with, like you said, the amount of money that you spend on them. Some submissions are almost reaching $100 now, and it's like. Mm-hmm. And also, part of me does wonder whether a lot of it's just a bunch of interns in a room with a list. And they're like, if this film doesn't hit right. five of these ten Absolutely, elements, yeah. you don't get in. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Here, yep. a lot like, of it is is business that we've been really careful about who we submit to because there's so I, I was just saying this to him the other day i don't think that there's a state here that doesn't have a film fest somewhere in some town every right. state has yeah, a yeah. film fest and um we've talked many times on the show about you know being able to track your views on vimeo and having we've had guests on that have been rejected by film fest and then looked it up and said you didn't even watch my film uh, yeah, but I, so. I'm, actually, I'm going through something similar at the moment where I'm in a very strange position because 
Kindred's come out and it's been out in the States and it's been like, you know, it's not exactly a household name, but it's been more successful than I, than I ever thought it would be really in America. But it hasn't come out in the UK yet. You know? Oh, really? Oh, wow. And it was always it was always considered to me as being like quite a UK centric film. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to be out over here until like June at the earliest at this point because wow. of the pandemic and all this other crap that's going on. So I'm in this really weird position where I've got an agent now in, in LA or two in LA and one in New York I'm signed by UTA who are really like a good agency. And I've got some quite good agents at the agency. I've got the same, like Charlie, my biggest agent, the same guy who looks after the Guardians of the Galaxy guys, you know, they're like oh, proper okay. agents, you know. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, I can't get arrested. <laughs> it's just like, I'm, I'm emailing, like I'm going cap in hand to, to some agents that I like the look of. And I'm like, hi, like I've made this film. Would you possibly like watch it? Yeah. And you get these like, oh yeah, sorry. You know, I checked out and I haven't got, you know, haven't got room on my roster. But I know off Vimeo that they watched literally like three minutes. You know, it's yeah. like, um, right. hopefully come June or July, that'll sort itself out and it'll be fine. But um, it's just a strange bubble to be in where you're like trying to convince someone. Yeah. Like, maybe, I was gonna... maybe I shouldn't be trying to convince you. Maybe I'll just wait until you approach me because that probably makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to um, ask about that in regards to Film Fest, but it seems, you know, mm. with the, the, the influence of the States and especially LA, how, how you approach that from you know another country you know is it yeah. are you prioritizing that thing. or are you just dealing with local stuff at the beginning with or? shorts is a different thing kind of because it's much more um achievable for like a kind of a normal person you know like the entry isn't that complicated and it is expensive but it's not that expensive you know if you want to enter the san francisco film festival which has always actually been a bit of a lucky one for me i've gone a couple of times like um I can fill those forms out myself and send it off for like feature film quite a lot of the time they need like clearance pages for the, for the, you know, for mm. the score and they need like actors contracts and they need like evidence that basically you're not a con man and you actually own the film and, mm -hmm. and all that kind of right. stuff. So when it comes to the actual feature film stuff, it tends to be the sales agent who picks the film up will be the one who's kind of in charge of that. Them and the produce producer producers, production company they'll kind of take care of all that stuff um, mm. so i'm quite blissfully away from that we came out at the worst possible time with kindred though because it was um uh in the midst of a global pandemic right. yeah. <laughs> so like all the film festivals are like yeah usually we take like uh, 500 films and this year we're taking 50 yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right and Same they're like and they're all canadian and you're like yeah. okay uh, yeah. <laughs> perfect so like um it wasn't it wasn't an ideal time because we were supposed to be in berlin last year but um, we had like a rather frustrating delay because um, our visual effect, we didn't have a lot of money and our visual effects people were doing a film called Archive, which came out fairly recently. Yeah, we saw that. Um, Sci-fi thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they were doing the visual effects on that, which overran by like six months, oh, which wow. basically pushed our visual effects back, which mm -hmm. meant we missed that deadline. And then the, the virus hit. So yeah, we... Um, um, we got a bit screwed in that in the festival run. So we didn't really I mean we played like a couple of small festivals and stuff, but um we missed out on the whole kind of Sundance, South by Southwest, Love Fest. Right. You know, I haven't had enough people telling me how awesome I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to um I just wanna go back a second and um sort of thank you for considering six thousand pounds to be a significant amount of money. Because yeah. uh, so many people, you know, it's like the reason why we kind of started the podcast was because we listened to film podcasts and as great as they were, it was there was such a disconnect when it was like, oh, we have such and such guest on who did this super indie film and they only had a four hundred thousand dollar budget. And we're like, mm. what the hell is that about? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we can well, make 17 films but, for that. So it's like yeah. it's nice that, you know, you can. Mm acknowledge that yes you know uh, another you know a, a feature can have a million dollar budget or two million dollar budget but that yeah six thousand pounds which is about eight thousand dollars for us is yeah. still a lot of money when you're self-funding that's yeah. a lot yeah, totally yeah man that's that's like i don't earn that much money do you know what i mean like my day job my kind of at the moment i've still got a day job you know i'm not a full-time writer director at this point um i am editing at the moment some commercial stuff mm -hmm. for a friend of mine and and doing odd, odd bits and corporate bits and pieces um because that's the the way of the world and you know it's when you're only earning a couple hundred bucks a day or 500 bucks a day at most you know eight thousand 
dollars is a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. takes, and I've got kids. You know, I've got two kids now. So um, all those shorts that I talk about, the the first ones cost me, you know, maybe five hundred pounds, mm-hmm. like less than a hundred dollars, uh, less than a thousand dollars. Yeah. And then the documentaries were like nothing. They were like three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. You know, because I'm just paying for a bit of film stock for a sixteen mil camera and some sandwiches yeah. <laughs> and some travel yeah. expenses and that's kind of it you know and um if you can work in those the funny thing is coming from that world where i'm so used to being a self-shooter in my day job i have you know a career that for a long time was kind of dslr based where i would turn up with a yeah, i've got my gh5 here you know i'll turn up with something like my gh5 or whatever it was before the 5d or whatever with a kind of camera on a tripod in one hand and a microphone in the other one and a Mm. light in my backpack that I set up on a stand and I do an interview with someone at some corporation about their financial results or something really dull dull and boring Mm. Mm -hmm. and then I'd go home and edit it myself and deliver it and that's kind of an income for Mm -hmm. me you know Um, but the useful thing about that is that when the dream does come true and finally you find yourself on set and you're chatting to the sound team, you're sympathetic to the fact that, oh, yeah, I know that you haven't got any room in frame. Let me find a way of making that work for you. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. you understand that, like, right, okay, we've got to get all this gear upstairs um, and there's not enough people to help out. So, like, I'm the kind of director who will, you know, grab three flight cases and, right. and, and carry up the get stairs. Get it done. Because yeah. I'm not precious because I've been in <laughs> exactly. this situation. Like. A lot of people who go to film school and come straight out and they're told they're wonderful artists and go straight to directing movies and stuff, they haven't got that kind of graft in them. They the kind of they kind of buy into the hierarchy, I think, of the yeah. of the of the crew more. Whereas I think because I've kind of come from the bottom up, um, the kind of the thing that almost kept Kindred going. We had a bit of a problem with Kindred, like financially. Um, we closed the the money on the film, but. Um, well, we didn't officially. We had all the money promised for the film, but there was issues with closing. So we we ended up halfway through the film kind of running out of money, you know. Mm. Mm. And there's nothing a film crew likes less than not being paid, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and, it, and I genuinely think that if it hadn't been for the fact that I'd built up such a good relationship with the crew and we all got on and, like, I was helping out from day one before this was an issue and asking people, the lighting guys, and I knew, all their, I knew the guy who drove the lighting truck's name and I'd chat to him at lunchtime. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that, in the long run, was a massively beneficial thing because it meant that when shit hit the fan financially, they were like, you know, if it wasn't for you, half of us wouldn't be here anymore. You know, we'd have yeah. moved on to another gig, you know. So um, there's a lot to be said for being experienced. Or, and not an asshole. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot to be said for being experienced at doing the, doing the cheap work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Doing it cheap is sometimes the best education. Yeah, you know? yeah, we we preach that all the time because we, we're constantly wearing so many hats in all of our productions. Mm. And so time comes when, you know, now we can afford um, uh, an actual sound person, let's say. And now I can yeah, yeah. I can relate to that person and talk to them and, and better explain to him or her what it is that I need uh, out of a scene or, 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 to your point, find better ways to help them mm. achieve their job and, and just make it, fun for everybody i mean you don't have to have any experience to do that but mm. i think when you can relate to your crew they get it yeah 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 and i think the um um the other thing i mean this is me jumping back in our conversation quite far is the one thing about um the short film thing when you when you don't have a lot of money if you are going to save some money up for one thing i genuinely think that getting talent the best talent in front of camera you can makes the biggest difference you know because I think if you get a good performance out of a good actor, it doesn't matter if you're shooting on an anamorphic lens that you've rented for five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, or if you're shooting it on your iPhone. You know, yeah, it should all be about the story. And generally speaking, the best way to get a good story is to get good actors to to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I always say that like your and, performances and, and your audio. Yeah, like yeah, people yeah audio will, is a massive. Thing people as well, will yeah. forgive a scene being Amen. blown out. You know, yeah. and and the average oh. film goer isn't even really paying attention to that. As film people, we're like, wow, that seems blown out. But like regular did, people, um, this is a good one. Don't. I, did, I did a commercial <laughs> job. I did a commercial job once where um, I was editing it and shooting it for a friend of mine for that Simon guy I mentioned earlier. Um, and I got into the edit, and um, the sound person was a, slightly weirdly grumpy. 
And um, I got the sound cards and I plugged them in and everything before lunch was fine. And everything after lunch, I couldn't sync it up. And I was like listening to it. It was really muffled sounding. And I was like, God, this is really weird. So I sent them an email. I'm like, hey, could you like resupply the rushes? Could you email me the sound rushes again? Because like they sound a bit weird. And they were really aggro again. Like, God, there's nothing wrong with it. Look, uh, I'll send it when I get home. And I'm like, all right. So that night they sent it to me again. It's still absolutely fucked. And I'm like, what is going on? And then um, I got this like slightly like sheepish email back saying, oh, no. I've realized that they had like a Zoom recorder and somehow after lunch it had been set to like the internal mic recording oh, rather than the external mic recording. Oh. So we didn't have any audio for the entire afternoon other than through the bag that oh, the man. internal oh mic was in, that like muffled. So we had to ADR like basically 80% of this film um, and try and get it to match. And then having not learnt my lesson, I then <laughs> tried to skimp, about two years later, tried to skimp on an audio recording for a short I was doing. Same fucking thing happened again. <laughs> it's like, this happened to me twice. I've had to ADR an entire film because of bad audio twice. And it never looks quite right. You no, know? yeah. Um, yeah. You can get away with a line or two, but when you've got to do like chunks of dialogue it's um, it always yeah. seems weird yeah, yeah. we've seen that in like high always, end stuff it's always too. the performance the, you can you can work with the audio and and, and sync it to the lips but if you don't have that right. same intentionality mm-hmm. and performance behind yeah. it yeah you know you can tell so with uh so since Kindred hasn't released there, we won't go, uh, we won't spoil things with like reviews on the film because, and actual scenes, because I don't want to ruin things for, for people. Oh, don't worry, you can. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That'll be fine. Come on, my parents haven't even seen it yet. That's the joke. What? It's like, we haven't, we haven't had like any like cast and crew screening. We haven't, because of the pandemic, like uh. it's been really shit. And like, I could send my parents a link to watch it on their TV, but um, it's been so long. I'm like, come on, we might as well wait until at least that's we get funny. Yeah. Get well, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm an avid skimmer through like I go through Prime, I go through Netflix, I go through Disney, I go through HBO, I go through everything, and then I just mark everything that I want to watch. And so, you know, New- Kindred had popped up, and I'd seen the poster, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And then I read, uh, you know, I read the the synopsis, and I was like, okay, I definitely want to see this. And um, then I watched the trailer. I saw Fiona Shaw and I was like, all right, <laughs> I just yeah, like, yeah. love her. Um, and, you know, but the, uh, what is it? Is it Jack Loden? Jack Loudon. Loudon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is yeah, it yeah. Ta- Tamara or Tamara? No, it's Tamara. Tamara. Yeah, okay. Tamara. Uh, Lawrence, I believe. Uh, she yeah. was, I, I had not seen her before, so she was really good as well. And mm-hmm. um, I love, I love when I watch a film that I recognize a supporting actor but I don't mm-hmm. recognize the lead because I'm like, mm-hmm. this is great. This is great because this is how you get new actors. This is how you, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's oh, usually, the, especially in the States, it's usually the other way around. Like they're not going to give a, a famous face a supporting mm-hmm. role and then, you know, give yeah, it a, yeah. a, a no name as they call them the lead. But um, she more than held her own. So like now yeah, I'm excited yeah. to see what else she's going to do and I want to see her other stuff. Which mm-hmm. is like the whole point of it. I don't yeah. know I, that that ego. I we have that a lot here in, in film, and I can't stand mm-hmm. it. But um, you know, it it was it was a great. I don't know what the budget was, but I figured like it was a great concept because you're mostly in one place, and mm-hmm. so you got this amazing location. And I said the same thing. I was like, if I had that location, ninety percent of our film mm-hmm. would take place in that location yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you want to use yeah. that as much as you can because it. it probably isn't very cheap or you know so you want to utilize that but i never felt like it was intentional like oh well here we are still because they're trying to still use this location it just felt like the story was i don't know what came first but uh you know that the story just fits so well with it and um i'd sent i sent it over to a friend of mine here in the states as well i was like you have to watch this film because um, we're going to have this guy on and it was really good. And then she watched it and she's texting me through it. Everything that she thinks is about to happen. Like, oh, so basically, uh, this, 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 and that. And I'm like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I'll give it away if I say, no, that's not it. Um, yeah. but then she finished watching it and she just texted, well, that was terrifying. Um, cause she asked, you know, is it a horror movie? And I said, I don't consider it a horror movie to me. It's mm. like a thriller. And I like those more than horror movies because yeah. that's that could happen and that's way scarier than like 
the guy running at you with a chainsaw, you know, mm. which could happen. Yeah. <laughs> but but fun, funny enough, know. that's kind of that point on the horror thing is quite an interesting one because throughout the film, like the, the conception, the writing, the making of the film, even the edit of the film, no one said the word horror once. Mm -hmm. It was never conceived to be a horror film. I think um, it was always a kind of psychological thriller. That was always what we were going for. And then, you know, I, I'm a bit of a film nerd. And, you know, I, I really like um, like Park Chan-wook and Bong Joon-ho films like mm -hmm. um, Old Boy and yeah. Memories of Murder and Mother. And the thing I really appreciate about those films is they are, even Parasite, which came out after we'd made ours, but, like, they're not one kind of film, you know? Mm -hmm. They are films that are scary, but they're also funny, mm -hmm. and they have bits of romance in them, and they have kind of, like, suspense, and yet they also have kind of, you know, jump scares. And they're, and they're, they're that kind of cinema I find much more engaging, much more interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I was trying to go for with the film. But in hindsight, you know that ended up being quite a difficult thing to market to a Western audience because they, they want to know what they're getting. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like Ugh, it's very hard to say to, to a, an average person in the street when they're like, Oh, what kind of film is this? You're like, well, it's kind of like a lots of different kinds of film. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They want to know, like, tell me what it is, you know? So, um, when it came to, the film like going going to market. You know, we finished the film. We have a sales agent, and they're they're trying to like sell it to different territories. And IFC picked it up in the states, and that's like you know a bit of a dream. They're they're a great company to take the film, and we have meetings with them, and they're like, look, you know, we're going to put it out on IFC Midnight, which is our kind of like horror ish kind of like imprint. And we were a bit like, really, yeah, okay. Yeah. And they're the experts, and and they know the best way for them to recoup the money they spent buying the film, and and that's in it's not weirdly. Yeah, I have to let go of it at that point because mm -hmm. I don't own it in that territory. You know, mm -hmm. it's theirs to kind of do as they will, and they're, but they're cool. You know, they asked our opinion, and and we helped them cut the trailer, and we we had a slight difference of opinion on artwork because they had they wanted to go for a poster that felt a bit more horror than I would have gone. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, yeah, that's but, always a danger then because you can always somebody could go in thinking it's a straight horror film, and, and yeah, it's but not. most people do. If you look at the kind of reviews we we have, like. I'd say of the negative reviews, I'd say more than half of them are like, yeah, it's not scary enough. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And part of me just feels a bit hard done by it because I'm like, it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed <laughs> to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, so, that, you know, that's kind of, but you've got to take the rough with the smooth to a certain extent. Yeah, because yeah. The IFC picking up meant that we got into 60 screens theatrically in mm -hmm. America, which for, I never thought we'd get outside of a pandemic, let alone during a pandemic. Right. And yeah. then, you know, having a company of that um, gravitas behind it means that we end up getting reviews in Variety and Hollywood Reporter and those kind of places that we wouldn't... We were in the front page of the LA Times culture section. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never thought that would happen. Yeah. So um, their, their hard work was incredible for the film and for our profile and for getting it out there. I kind of wish it hadn't been on kind of a horror tip, but, you know... What are you going to do? Yeah. And I think also it didn't help us because we ended up with a lot of people comparisons to like Rosemary's Baby and, and Get Out and stuff. And Rosemary's Baby, I get, because you're in like a, a scenario with a pregnant lady and you're not sure if she's really going through what she's going through. So I can see the connections. But the Get Out one was quite an odd one for me yeah. because um, I think, well, firstly, I think because fundamentally i think race plays a different card in america than it does in the uk and over here you know i it's a film that was always much more about our kind of class system we have here mm -hmm. we got quite a big problem in the uk with like the class system or, you know traditional class system you know um where all of our politicians and kind of quote unquote leaders are elite elite kind of like posh private school boys mm -hmm. and um and they kind of rule the roost and fuck everyone else, basically. And, well, and, I mean, we have... Yeah. <laughs> We're not that yeah. far off, sir. We're not that far off, yeah. So, um, you know, like 85% of our head of our prime ministers we've ever had have all been to the same school. You know? Oh, wow. Just, yeah, they've all been to Eton. That's just like the way it is, you know. So, um, anyway, it was always supposed to be about that, the kind of the upper class and this more kind of working class mm -hmm. female character inside and, and old versus new and country versus city and kind of 
trying to find these conflicts within it. But in America, for a lot of people, it just became a film about race, mm. you know, and the new, a lot of the nuance was missed. And I think, you know, the Black Lives Matter things happening is wonderful that is for the world generally um i think that that also skewed people's viewpoint on the film because that was a bit of a hot topic at the time and um yeah you know, everything's very racially well, well, not to be sound like an artsy artist but you know when you when you make art you can't really um overly concern yourself with how people interpret it mm -hmm. you just got right. to try and do best you can and get right. it out there right having said that <laughs> they're like for example like, i think the, the one thing I picked like two or three people said were like, oh, those teacups are really like, get out. And I'm like, yeah, like, oh. we're in England, dude. We drink teacups. Yeah. That's what we drink out of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like if, you live, if you live in like a manor house, you don't own any mugs. And if you do, they're for the gardener. Do you know what I mean? You drink, <laughs> yeah. tea, out of, you drink tea out of teacups. This is the way it is. We're yeah. here. It's the other way around, realistically. I mean, it, it was for the aesthetic standpoint that Jordan Peele used like a proper teacup in that scene, but mm. realistically she would have been drinking out of a mug, you know, mm. and that, cause that's just, you know, how yeah, yeah. tea, tea doesn't mean as much here. And so it's like, you just throw it in whatever, but yeah, yeah. Um, aesthetically, so, obviously yeah. it looks and sounds better. There's a, you know, there's a, a tone yeah, yeah, to yeah. A, a teacup when you, when you hit it. So it, it had to be a teacup, but yeah, I, yeah. I could definitely see where the comparison would be made, but I didn't get that watching it i you know the mm. fact that she kept talking about her mother and mm. her mother's mental state it felt to me very much like a hierarchy that she would just never be in that upper echelon with them um but mm. that i didn't yeah, feel like it was and that's the racially thing, mo that, motivated yeah yeah because we we didn't cast tamara because she was a black actress interestingly this the script didn't mention race at all mm. it was just a female character and um and during the casting process she was the only black actress we saw you know we saw all kinds of people like british people mm. eastern european people you know um but jack had actually just been in a tv show with tamara called uh, the long song which i don't know if you guys have checked out it has mm -hmm. just been on in the states but i don't know on what of your various channels and networks it's been on but it's called mm. the long song and it's like about the end of a plantation slavery in Jamaica, mm. Mm. Um, um, like British colonial rule stuff. It's like a period piece. And they just shot that in the Dominican Republic. And, and I was meeting Jack afterwards talking about casting for Kindred. And he's like, the actress I just worked with on this thing is like one of the best actresses I've ever seen. She's like out of this world. You should get her in just to like give it a shot. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, we'll get her in, fine. Stick her on the end. And she was literally on the end of the list, just kind of coming in for the for the last session of the day. And, and one of my weird jobs I've done, my various weird jobs I've done in crewing is I used to be a cameraman on casting sessions, mm -hmm. you know, for like commercials and stuff. So you'd mm -hmm. end up doing like cheese commercials where people come in and like, oh, delicious, you know, kind yeah, of like, yeah, yeah. and people who aren't really actors come in and like do something really kind of awful in front of a camera and, you, and you've got to try and like get this really, the worst thing about it is there's this moment where you've been in this really hot room all day filming people doing something really crap and then you're like how many people can we still have left to go and you look outside and there's like 25 people still lying yeah. and you're just like oh man it's painful <laughs> and kind of i think as a direct response to that my approach to casting is like completely the opposite where i will only see like four five people and then if that doesn't work out i'll book another four or five people in mm. for another day because I want to spend time with people. Yeah, and yeah. I know I'm not going to get the best out of them if I only have them in for three minutes. They say their name, say three lines, and I get them out the door. Yeah. yeah. If I have them for like an hour, you know, and they come in, and for the first 20 minutes, we just talk. Crap. Yeah. How are you? Where are you from? Oh, yeah. What kind of th film do you like? Because such a big part of working with someone in a creative endeavor is personality, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And you want to know what kind of person they are and what they're into and whether you're going to get on or not, you know? And so that, once that's out of the way, you're like, right, okay, so we will have sent them some pages and we're like, okay, do you want to go through it? And they'll go through it. And then you find a way to kind of give them some kind of direction that might not be exactly what you want, but it's enough to kind of see whether they can take direction or not. And then, and, and then you can kind of take it from there. So I think on the day we were seeing like four people initially and then tomorrow was number five. And then she came in and just totally blew me away. And it's just like, holy shit, man. This like, she was by far and away the most engaging and you know i tend to find um 
you know you're getting a good performance out of someone if what they're doing is transformative. Like they transport me mm-hmm. somewhere else, you know, while they're doing it. And I'm captivated by what they're doing. And I'm not sat there thinking, oh, she's doing something funny with her fingers. Or, you know, I'm not right. distracted by something else in the room. They're right. like, they focus me. Yeah. And um, that's what she did from the second she came in. And, um, and uh, you know, the, the reality of the the modern day in filmmaking and stuff and the world is like there is a conversation you have with the financial people afterwards you're like look i found an actress she's an unknown and she's not only an unknown but she's a young black actress and they know that that means that they might not get as much money for the film in russia or china or wherever because they generally like to see i don't know what big white burly action men (laughs) rather than rather than unknown young black actresses you know so, um, but everyone involved behind the scenes, financial and sales agents and stuff was totally behind it. Nice. And we're like, great. If you think she's the best person for it, no problem. Great. Fine. And I think because we had Jack, who isn't like a household name, but he's getting a good reputation for himself. Yeah, definitely. Then, I recognize. I didn't know the, the name, but I was like, I know this guy's face. I've seen him yeah. before. Yeah. He's in like Dunkirk. He's yeah, the, um, yeah. He's one of the fighter pilots and that. And he's in like, I don't know, he's in a bunch of stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Having then having Fiona Shaw involved, that was kind of enough for us. They basically, I like to imagine they just stick it in a computer and they're like, there's like an equation. This, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like Jack plus Fiona equals yeah, yeah. You know, two, two million dollars. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like, right, okay. Um, and it meant that we, we could be a bit braver with the casting of tomorrow. But when you first go into it, you, you know, you do have the conversation. You're like, well, okay, do we want, I don't know. Anya Taylor-Joy to be in this part. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You have to have that conversation because you'd be stupid not to. But um, I think we realised that um, there, there was a benefit for us for having an unknown involved. And there's more money if you can get an American to do it. Don't get me wrong, because mm-hmm. it, in theory, opens up the market in the States, which is a, a big thing for a European film, you know, or a British film. Um, but that was never really an issue for us. And we're, I mean, I, Jesus, I couldn't have done it couldn't have been luckier really i mean all the cast in the film are, are really so good, good. Yeah. everyone's so good i think also thing- like w- sorry we we do this thing here sometimes there's films that come out where there's too many familiar faces for me mm. and that becomes really distracting um i've often said that about knives out which was a good mm. film but there were too many people to look at and too many people that didn't get to sh- like for me you know, I, I love Michael Shannon and it's like, I didn't get enough Michael Shannon. And so yeah, yeah. I kept waiting for more Michael Shannon, but he wasn't one of the lead, you know, the, the lead characters. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're trying to focus. There's just too many Queens in a castle, if you will. And it's just like, who do I focus on? Mm-hmm. And so I love when you have that familiar face, you know, obviously brings the funding in the cloud and people are like, Oh, Hey, I know that actor, mm-hmm. but then you have an unknown lead and I can't, I mean, you could say that about anything, but you could put anybody in a, a role that's a good actor and say, well, they, they played the role well, but um, that's her part. I don't know. She was just so good in that. Mm. And it's, so it's like that was her role. And I can't picture someone else in that. I, yeah. I don't need a familiar face to have made that movie. It wouldn't have made it better for me in any way, I guess. No, but yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's all it's, it's all funding at that point. Yeah. yeah. And that's why often, you know, you end up with, you know, we could have had... In fact, we talked about that as well. We talked about like the, our doctor character because it's quite a small part. And, um, you know, it helps us if we have someone vaguely recognisable in it. But then at what point does recognisable become distracting? Mm. Mm. And it's like, do we try and get Michael Caine to be in it? <laughs> it's just like, well, luckily we can't afford him. <laughs> and also, like, the second he walks in, everyone will be like, oh, look, it's Michael, it's Michael Caine. Caine yeah. And it kind of and it takes you out of the film. You right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a really weird balancing act, that. But uh, my casting agent, Alice, is, like, out of this world. You know, she's she's excellent. And um, I'm dealing with her at the moment. We're trying to get another project off the ground. And um, just having someone with a more objective opinion to me to be like, have you thought about so-and-so? Mm. And all of a sudden, like, she suggested Fiona Shaw. And all of a sudden, you're like, holy shit, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. Why didn't I think of that? You know, it's just having someone who's kind of an expert in their field who knows who knows their shit, you know. Yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry, I cut oh, you off. <laughs> one of the things that that, it, um, that is a danger in a film like this is when you, you put a, a character into kind of like a harrowing scenario, then the audience tends to 
try to outthink that character, you know? And so, oh, well, she's stuck in the room. Why don't you just break the window and run out or whatever, whatever the thing is. So I'd never really felt that with this film. You know, I felt like everything was justified and and earned, um, which is kind of what impressed me, impressed me a lot because with a film like this, it's so easy to give these kind of like fake boundaries that the person can or can't, Get what, out what of it. Yeah. yeah the, the, oh, wow. Why didn't think, they just yeah. do this? Why didn't they just do that? I think a that? lot of that is the location, though. I think, mm-hmm. you know, if, if if the house had had a house next door right. or yeah. whatever, you know, it it would be, it, it adds a element of, of disbelief or, you know, you don't quite buy it as much, you know. Yeah. But the nature of that house, it really was in the middle of nowhere, you know. And not only was it in the middle of nowhere, it was like in the middle of the middle of nowhere. It's <laughs> like, it's a really strange, strange um, location. And it had only ever been filmed once before in Lassie the movie in like <laughs> 2001 or I don't know whenever Lassie the movie came out. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, and that's the only other time anyone had filmed there because it's island. We shot an island. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem with our, not the problem, I should be nicer about the unions. There's like, <laughs> Ireland's very unionized, the film crew. Mm. I live in England, you know, I'm from London. And in the 80s, Maggie Thatcher came along and basically crushed all our unions. <laughs> so basically everyone gets massively exploited by all the employers and no one no one has any say in anything. And then all of a sudden you go to somewhere like Ireland and they're like, oh yeah, you know, overtime's super expensive because we've got unions. And you're mm. like, oh right, okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but it means that if you if you shoot outside Dublin, um, you, you get a good tax credit for shooting Ireland. You get like money back for every mm-hmm. pound you spend or whatever. But um you we end up spending all of that and more because if you shoot outside Dublin you have to pay for crew transport, overnights mm-hmm. for for people, hotel rooms, um getting kit in and out of Dublin is like becomes super expensive because, you know, it's a two hour drive instead of a fifteen minute drive or whatever. So it became a bit of a um logistical nightmare, financial nightmare. But all the houses we had seen in Dublin just weren't as good. You know, they didn't have that that element. You know, we wrote this, oh, Jason and I wrote the script with a kind of house in our head, you know, imagining what it would be like. And then you walk into a location, you're trying to fit a square peg into mm-hmm. a round hole all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, well, this could kind of work. That bedroom's kind of the what I thought, but the staircase isn't really. So, I mean we might you know could we shoot the staircase in a different house you know and it becomes that kind of yeah. issue <clears throat> but the second we turned up at this place we were just like done you know just uh give him give him whatever he wants yeah. <laughs> give them whatever they want the, the funny the thing is take? the guy who owns the house is called thomas and that's the name of the character in the film yeah who jack's character in the film it's just a complete coincidence but um uh it was a sign i think how how long did the film take to to make? So uh, I went into prep um, on my own because, again, we didn't have all the money. I mean, financially, the whole thing was a bit of a car crash. So we didn't have any money initially. Um, so I went, into, I went into one-man prep, I'd like to call it, on my own, drawing storyboards and doing <laughs> stuff in the end of January 2019. And then... Um, we actually officially, I think we had, I mean, it was no prep at all, like three weeks or something, like four weeks, like super too, way too quick. But it was basically a window financially and a window with a location because they have got like a, they do like a a music festival there Mm -hmm. in the summer. So we had to squeeze it in before that happened and stuff. So we had a bit of a fire lit underneath us and and a ticking clock. So, um, nothing everything moved incredibly slowly until it didn't and then it basically went into massive fast forward mode and i wanted two weeks of of rehearsal so it was a bit of a nightmare um and then i physically moved to ireland for now the shoot was supposed to be 25 days and then i think initially actually it was 28 days and then during the first week of shoot we were like we haven't got enough money for this we need to cut it down to 25 days then it went down to 24 days oh. and then we lost a day and we ended up shooting, I think, two and 22 and a half days or something. Jeez. Like, oh. like too quick, yeah. really. I mean, because, I mean, you can probably tell from Red Light and, and that and Kindred, that, like, my approach to filming things is quite, like, measured and thought out and, you know, quite static cameras and mm-hmm. kind of, like, 
what I'd like to consider to be interesting coverage. And that is not, that's not quick to get. Right. You know? If I was happy shooting a scene, walking to a room with the camera on the cameraman's shoulder and just shoot it and get out, that's like, that's quick. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to do something, you know, in a way that feels truthful to myself and in the way that I see the story being told, um, it was slightly problematic. But um, we got there in the end, you know. But uh, it was, I mean, it was a pretty... That's pretty quick, difficult, yeah. yeah. Pretty difficult four and a half weeks. Um, and also I had, I've had young kids, you know. I still do have young kids. But, you know, I got home, got pretty homesick living out in Ireland and, and being away from my family. So I came back. The other good thing about the unions in Ireland is they only do five-day weeks. In the UK, often oh. you do, like... 11 day fortnights where you do like six days one week five days next week six mm-hmm. days and five days mm. whereas they don't have that shit in Ireland they're just like oh, <laughs> Monday, Monday Monday to Friday yeah. um, so uh, it meant that on a Friday night for a few of the weeks I um, I could fly home on the last flight out of Dublin and then come home for a couple of days and fly back Sunday afternoon and then be on set on Monday and, mm-hmm. and carry on shooting and stuff so um, I really can't complain too much because it worked out in, its end, in the end but it was um, it wasn't unstressful <laughs> I'm gonna use that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good though. You know, it, it's just for now. You know, it's like it feels like it's not far off two years since we shot it. You know, it feels like a it feels like it's been quite slow getting to this point. Yeah. Know? But um, having a global pandemic in the middle of uh, yeah, no, that slow isn't things necessarily down. the best thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd say it slowed things yeah, down. Yeah, it killed us on our last film too. We spent uh, quite a bit of money on it and shot it, and then once once we submitted to the festivals, then the pandemic hit, and that oh, was like two weeks after like five hundred dollars worth of submissions. It was like we're having oh, a global man. pandemic. I was like, fantastic. So. Yeah, it's just what you need. I know it's nuts, isn't it? Um, but what can you do? You just got to get through it, right? Yeah, you know? that's it. In start... a weird way, it's been quite nice because you know I've spent. The only benefit of the pandemic is that when, el- when else has, has a, a parent and, a, and his kids spent this much time together? And as yeah. painful as that is in a lot of ways, <laughs> at the same time, it's quite nice to see them kind of. Sure, yeah. Up, you know. So there's, there's a little tiny silver lining to it. But also, I've been writing. You know, I've written three scripts in the last 12 months. Good, yeah. So that's yeah. kind of, that's been quite good. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely some silver linings to being stuck at home. You know, I'm lucky enough where I can work from home, so I'm still... You know, yeah. I'm very, very fortunate that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I work out now. I have time to do stuff and, <laughs> yeah. you know, fix stuff around the yeah. house. And so there's, you got to try to find yeah. the positive in anything. I still don't work out, though. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I could do with a little bit more. Neither of that, have I. We have kids, so I mean, what are you going to do? We don't have kids. Yeah, we have yeah. no excuse. I have no excuse. I just yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so. I, I'm looking forward to what you're going to be working on next. I mean, but mm-hmm. but Kindred still hasn't got its release there, so I'm assuming you still have a bit more time with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, the, the the only territory in the entire world that's been out in is the states, <laughs> which is which is such a strange uh, situation because that is for most British directors getting a an agent in America is like a dream, and it takes years, and like you never know when it's going to happen. And getting your independent British film released in America is like a big deal. And, you know, and I've kind of breezed into that. And, you know, I get the film out in the States really quickly and get a good agent in the States and that's fine. But no other territory in the world has released it yet. So I'm still, we're not out in Australia. We're not out in Germany. We're not out in England, you know, or in Britain or Ireland or anywhere. So um, we're going to start hitting some... um, some other releases now in the next window okay. and then um it looks like um that will kind of take me through realistically until kind of towards the end of the year i'm trying to get another film up and running for like shooting in like september october mm-hmm. but um that might be wishful thinking and i've just finished a script for something set in the states actually set up in maine oh nice wow. Maine's nice yeah, yeah. yeah um my first kind of american potential american project so um just trying to get that script. Well, if you need some we, we, lackeys, you can go ahead and give us a buzz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a. Um, if you want to have an I'm, intimate audition, I am available. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It might be terrible. You know, that's the funny thing about. Um, so might I, but you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but you know, don't, don't you find with your work like objectivity is is kind of the hardest thing like the amount of i'm a little bit um adhd basically i'm a little bit of a workaholic in if i get fixated on something i can't really get it out of my head mm-hmm. so you know i will work on scripts and, and work on stuff yes. but you get to the point where you're just like is this shit exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is good and it's like i don't know but you have to kind of believe in yourself you know yeah. you have to kind of go the extra mile and it, it is nice when you do get that kind of um positive reinforcement from someone else who thinks it's good yeah but um there's yes. always this moment with with scripts in particular where it's just this kind of constant cycle of like this is the greatest thing anyone's ever written and then all of a sudden you're like this is awful <laughs> like, yeah. oh, what am i doing and then it goes back up again you're like oh maybe it's not so bad you're like no no no, no it is that bad you know, yeah. it's this constant like uh cycle of pain um but at the moment, I'm kind of getting towards the top again. I'm like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. It should be okay. Yeah. Um, well, we we really enjoyed the film. I, I like I said, it was just like I, I want to talk. You know, it, it's funny because it's like anything that's above our budget generally that we see. I'm always like, this person's not going to want to talk to us. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm always surprised. We're like, yeah, sure, I'll talk about it. And you know, not even knowing that it's not even released there. I mean, I just well, who doesn't want to was... reach out to our legions of fans? <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, I assumed because it was released, everyone had seen it. And, you know, mm. I forget that releases are different. And I should know that because our, our buddy that's out there, I've talked about stuff and he's been like, yeah, we're not getting that for another four months. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was filmed it in England. Why Why are you not getting it? So yeah, the thing it that I always find now. interesting when, when talking to him, well, I don't really talk to him that much, but is the is the the hierarchy on set you know where mm. here there's very much that celebrity thing yeah and over there when you're shooting it's just kind of like you're shooting film and so and so could be over there and so and so could be over there and then you talk to them during you know what i mean there's no mm. kind of preconceived kind of uh i mean there probably is on on some sets i'm sure it's everywhere but for the most part from what i hear it's it's there a bit isn't, more lax. Yeah, there isn't that yeah. uh, I'll be in my trailer and don't ever bother me kind of. No, yeah, no, you don't really get away with that over here. Yeah. I think um, the funny thing is, I think the crew in this country are very proud of our kind of global reputation because we are, I mean, I would say this, but I, th- I think it is the, the best film crew in the world, genuinely, in, in Britain, because mm-hmm. we run off what I think is, it was initially like a kind of military system almost, and over the years, that's eroded away to the point where, you know, rank, the different ranks can communicate with each other, but there's this kind of com- camaraderie, you know, mm-hmm. we're all in it together, mm-hmm. you know, right. oh, I'm a sound man, you're the grip who needs to carry this thing up the stairs, I'll give you a hand, you know, yeah. and they'll give you a hand. Yeah. And there isn't the whole like, you know, I've run into trouble in foreign countries before when I'm like that, I know when I've done DP gigs, and which I don't do that much anymore but you know i'll be looking through the eyepiece of the camera i'll be like that lighting stand needs to move an inch to the right and i'm like the quickest thing for me to do is just get up yep. and walk over there and move it an inch to the right yep but you know the, the the whoever whether it's the grip or the spark depending what country you're in will fucking not be pleased with you touching his shit do you yeah, know what i mean yeah. i'm like i own this i own the lighting <laughs> stand just like this i know how to move it do yeah, you know what yeah. i mean i'm only moving it an inch but you know, it's there's a certain amount of like um, um, in slightly insular department versus department mentality mm-hmm. you get in certain other places. Yeah, know? oh yeah. yeah. The, the, we, we don't really get that in, in London very yeah. much. Particularly and some of it's, you know, I mean, I, I, I think unions are a good idea conceptually, but sometimes the, the, mm. the, the, the there's just this sense of, uh, I always tell the story about how there's, a, there's a, a filmmaker, there's like these YouTube filmmakers and they made a film in the union system and they're like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, a lot of it is good because it protects people. People need to be protected because there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. that will take advantage of people. But at the same time, if I'm rolling and I want to watch that shot, I can't just push play on playback. That's a whole job of somebody to, you know what I mean? So there's some common sense stuff that I think needs to be worked out in that space. But yeah, it's, uh, I love the, um, the, uh, the camera operator one is just, I find bizarre because in the UK, 90% of DPs, just the camera operator and that's fine it's just the way it is mm-hmm. but i know in the in the states there if you're doing a union job there has to be a camera operator mm-hmm. so even if the dp is operating himself yeah mm-hmm. there's there's a perfectly capable very qualified quite expensive camera operator sat on a chair somewhere reading a newspaper yeah because 
that's the way the, the structure works. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, totally don't, you don't want to take it, jobs away you know, from you, people, but you want to like manage your budget at the same time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Having said that, if the DGA do want me to uh, join the union, I'd be very pleased. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm like I said, I'm not. office from the DGA yeah. and the WGA <laughs> anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not anti-union at all, but I feel like sometimes Some it can get in the in way, it, yeah. is, is all I'm it's saying. That's all. Out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Don't yeah. come I, after I us, it. union. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, too, would like to join the DJ if they would give me a <laughs> Good health care, right? Isn't that, the, isn't that the thing? Yeah. So, um, yeah. If you, make, if you make um, enough, I guess. Yeah, none of our healthcare is good here, really, yeah. even when you pay for it, actually. Um, yeah, so, well, um, thank you so much for being on. And I, I definitely will be, you know, following up with you and, and what you're doing next. I want to see what you're doing next, because so far I'm, I'm definitely a fan of your work, obviously. Yeah. Um, cool. and, uh, so we'll have, we'll have links here in the States to, <laughs> to the <laughs> film. Um, and if you're not in the States, get a VPN, you know, something, yeah, I don't get know. A VPN or, or email me and beg and I'll send yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. That too. Um, so thank you so much, Joe, for being on. No worries. Thank you for having me. Always nice to talk to someone in a pandemic. Otherwise, I'm <laughs> yeah, very true. Just talking to my kids and my wife, who were very bored of hearing me talk. That's why we started the podcast because it's like just we need to talk to, to people, somebody in the yeah, pandemic. Talk to other people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Joe. No worries. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Joe Mark Antonio. You said it right. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, that was a fun, a fun chat. Yeah. Um, Good film. Yeah, it was a great film. Actually, I would say the location. Got to one-up me. Yeah. Said it's good. It's not good enough for you. No, not good <laughs> enough. Um, so thank you for him for coming on. And um, I, I mean, that's that's really it, right? I mean. What sp- else is there to say, Spud? That's it, Spud. <laughs> <laughs> so tune in next week when we're going to talk about things and stuff. Yeah, I, I'd say that's pretty fair. We'll talk about things and stuff. Yeah. Shout- and maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. You Go will. Ahead. Go ahead. Shout out to MoGraph. Of course. Dot com. Yeah. Slash podcast, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> sure. Why would we know that? Go to mograph.com and click on podcast. <laughs> There's a couple there now. It's yeah. nice. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.